0: Good morning. We'll be reading from Psalm 42. You can find this on page 401 in your pew Bible. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all of your waves and breakers have swept over me. The day of the Lord directs his love uh, at night. His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why do, so disturbed within me? Put your hope and guide, and I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. In case I forget to mention it uh, later on, I was thrilled uh, this morning in the first service, little Eliza uh, Field. Came forward to make a profession of faith, so we will be baptizing her very soon. Uh, wonderful word from James. James actually had to leave to go be with Ralph at the True Vine service because he is actually serving uh, there this morning. And so, uh, by the way, he was hit by a train. I heard about that the other day from Ralph, and I was like, okay, he was driving along. Was like, no, he was walking on the track and was hit by a train. And uh, an amazing story, and and just an amazing Sweet-spirited Christian gentlemen, and uh, again, we're the ones getting blessed a lot more than uh, uh, us blessing Truevine. For those of you who've been involved with it, and I sure hope you'll think about being uh, at that banquet. Okay, this is the third uh, in a series called "A Journey Through Lent," and this morning we talk about prayer of thirst. Now, this is based on a series that Tim Keller uh, does, and we're following that along on Wednesday evening up here in the sanctuary. Would love to see you here. The studies are wonderful. We've had really good turnout. For it, uh, my one quandary with this psalm is I preached on it rather recently. In fact, two of the people in the first service came along and said, "I had notes from the last time you did this." I preached it in June of two thousand and sixteen uh, and there, I talked a little bit about how to deal with depression and despair and actually, I preached on depression a few weeks ago and and uh, invoked this text it wasn 't the primary text, but it was A part of the sermon. So I thought, well, I really want to stay with this series as as we've been doing and stay with Tim Keller's uh, text that coincide with this Lenten series. So I really prayed about it, and then I really was led to a specific spiritual step that you and I need to have as we come out of difficult times, as we move out of those dark valleys that we often face. And it's really encapsulated in the very first verse. Let's look at this. As the deer longs for streams of water, So I long for you, O God, I thirst for God, the living God. That's really what I want to talk about this morning is staying thirsty for God, not just during dark times, but really especially during dark times. That's when it's most vital that we have this passion for following God, even if we have to question God as we walk through it, have that passion, that thirst for God. Uh, we have slogans about thirst all the time because people can capitalize that on, in order to sell things. Gatorade had that slogan for that deep down body thirst. And really that's what we're talking about here is that thirst that's deep down in our souls. And later on we had Sprite come along with Obey Your Thirst. And I hope that we'll be doing both of those uh, this morning. What we're talking about is staying thirsty for God during dark Times Now, this psalm it might even say it in your Bible is referred to as a mascal, and, and it means teaching or insight. It can often mean instruction as well, and, and a lot of times it appears right under where it says psalm forty two Well the more I looked at that, I thought there are really three insights about thirst that you find in this passage, and you might want to refer to your outline that 's in the bulletin if you want to take some notes and uh, otherwise you'll um, be helped along by the PowerPoint here. But first of all, David encourages us to thirst for God. Now, this is written by David, but it might say in your Bible that it's actually also by the Korah family. The, the Korah family was a family of musicians who had put uh, David's Psalms to music. And what's great is that David is very honest here about the darkness he's going through. He doesn't pull any punches. This probably took place He probably wrote this during Absalom's rebellion. This was when his very own son, uh, Absalom, rebelled against him, uh, formed an insurrection against David, and had David exiled. And actually, David is on the lamb now, and he's being chased by Absalom's forces. Now imagine that your own son has betrayed you in such a way, and he is despairing. Now, back in 2016, we actually really broke apart all these different emotions that David is dealing with, but I'm just going to deal with them very briefly. But I want you to look at this multiplicity of emotions that David is dealing with in this time of darkness. Let's start uh, with verse 3. He's crying. He says, I can't stop crying. I have a loss of appetite. That's in verse 3. He also is dealing with a breaking or broken heart, depending on your translation. He also is feeling lonely and isolated, according to verses 4 through 6. And he's overwhelmed, verse 7. He talks about that in a very graphic way. He's also grieving and feeling abandoned in verse 9. And finally, in verse 10, he feels wounded by the words of others who are uttering words of disdain uh, towards him, disparagement toward him. And you find one word that appears four times. It's discouraged. And it's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It really means to be laid low or to be in the pits, literally. And we know what that's like. Well, David, and just look at this, look at all of this this emotion going on, this range of emotions that are just swirling around inside of this man. You and I have been there before ourselves with at least some of these emotions. Now, based on his own experience with despair, David instructs us to thirst in three ways. And, of course, again, first of all, thirst for God. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, "'As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God.'" I thirst for God, the living God, when can I go and stand before him? Now what's wonderful, and what I really appreciate about this, is David is thirsting first and foremost for God. He's not thirsting primarily for relief from this difficult situation. He's not thirsting primarily for escape from whatever terrible situation it is. He's thirsting first and foremost for God That really is his anchor, and I really like that. I like the way Matthew Henry puts it when he does the commentary on these two verses. He says, in his time of despair, David casts his anchor in God, and in doing so, he rides out the storm. That is how you do it. Place your anchor in God, not just asking for relief. That's where you cast your anchor. Now, I want you to note also how personally David talks to God. Uh, We can be very tempted in times of of desperation to just give up on God or isolate ourselves from Him. But notice how personal this walk with God is, especially even now that He's going through a difficult time. Just look at some of the titles He gives to God as He speaks to Him so personally. I think we've got some of those. First of all, verse 5, He calls Him my God very personally. And then in verse 8, God of my life. Next, my rock, verse 9. And then in verse 11, my Savior, and Finally, you get to chapter 43, verse 4, and I, could, I talked about this back in 16, but uh, chapter 43, Psalm 43 should be fused with Psalm 42. They are one psalm altogether. I could give you a long history lesson. Bottom line, the King James Version got it wrong. I know that's a terrible thing to say from the pulpit, but King James got it wrong, and uh, these should be placed together. And In that part of this psalm as a unit, he calls God the source of all my joy. And this is during this difficult, difficult time in which he finds himself. It's, it's that exceedingly uh, uh, personal, that exceedingly layered relationship that David has with God, that passionate, passionate relationship he has. That's really what empowers David to power through this time of difficulty. Now, one of my favorite places to go in the Psalms as a pastor, uh, you know, week to week when you deal with people who are, who are having whatever difficulty and you're hoping for the best for them, and you really learn to lean on God to really rescue them from it, I always go to Psalm 34, 17 through 19 for encouragement. It says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Wonderful passage. Uh, When my heart goes out to someone who's going through a difficult time, what promise do I get from this? He hears the people whose cries of pain are quite evident, and he remains close to them. Not only that, though, three times he uses the verb what? Rescue. He will rescue them from this situation. Now, that is a God worth thirsting for, is it not, especially when times are tough? A few weeks ago, I I talked about my friend Frank Tupper, uh, who's an outstanding theologian, really one of my mentors in terms of uh, theological uh, reflection and insight and all, Uh, taught theology at the Baptist Seminary in Louisville, more recently taught at Wake Forest Divinity School, Uh, is going through a difficult time right now because of a fall that he took, and he's dealing with partial paralysis Right now. And I remember having him in theology class teaching systematic theology in the classroom while at home his wife Betty was dying of cancer. And how he grappled with theology and real life and how it collided together was just amazing to me. And it taught me so much. And one of the things I remember him saying more than once were these words When life is darkest, it isn't that God is far away, it is only that we are blinded by the nearness of God very profound and I think very true. And again, that God who is truly near is no doubt worth thirsting for. But in our days of difficulty, David said there's another way we need to thirst. We need to thirst in a different way. And this gets interesting. We need to thirst to preach. And more specifically, we need to thirst to preach to ourselves. Do you ever talk to yourself? Uh, you're in a car and the people, the person in front of you stops too suddenly. Do you ever If you're not talking to that person (laughs) in a once-removed way, do you ever just talk to yourself? You might mutter to yourself something negative, but do you ever try the positive and say something like, you know, God help that person or God help me as I try to be patient or whatever? you ever talk to yourself? That's what David says we should be doing. We should actually proclaim to ourselves how God will get us through something. Amidst dark times, that's what David does. He speaks to himself, preaches to himself. Three times in this psalm, he offers the very same words. Let's put that up. It's in Psalm 42, 5, 42, 11, and Psalm 43, verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He says this three times. I have... I have the impression that David uttered these words frequently, not just during this time of struggle. I wonder if this is something that he would utter every day of his life at different points during the course of the day. He did that to encourage himself. There's evidence of him doing that in other places. If you go to 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, this is a whole other travail that David was facing. David was in great danger for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, His God. The word there in the Hebrew for strengthened means he he really spoke to himself, spoke encouragement to himself. In other words, he he preached to himself and said, "You know what? I'm going to get through this. God is with me." I hadn't really put a lot of thought into that, but one of the most famous books on depression that any preacher has ever written is called Spiritual Depression. It's a, it's a by, by a guy named Martin Lloyd Jones. Some of you have heard of him. One of the great pulpiteers ever. And it's interesting. He says the greatest problem we have when we are down and despairing is listening to our emotions rather than speaking to them. Now, this is interesting. And, and I, I realize the importance of listening to your emotions. I mean, I, you know, I did a lot of work in pastoral care, studying it, and I, I do a lot of counseling. We're trying to pinpoint what someone's emotions are. I understand that. But we shouldn't do that in a way that neglects speaking to our emotions. This is interesting. Now, I've just got a lengthy quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, and got it up here on the screen, and hopefully you can follow me, because I just think this is a profound thought. He says, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Interesting. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday and et cetera, other things. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, David's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. He's speaking to himself. You have to address yourself preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. He's saying you've got to preach to yourself sometimes. You've got to preach to yourself and talk to. Them. Now, do you know some people who do that on a regular basis? Um. I have known multiple people who, as soon as they wake up, they will say, this is the day, does anybody know? This is the day, what? That the Lord has made, what? Let us rejoice and be glad. And I think Marcia Hamby, when we had her mother's memorial service, I learned that she always would say that every morning. And then she would break into, oh, what a beautiful morning, in the Oklahoma musical. Hey, that's a good combination. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. I know someone else who, throughout the course of the day, especially when something gets dicey, they will say, who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one will. Uh, I know someone else who will always say, with, with God all things are what? Possible. Um, they will say, quoting Paul, his grace is what? Sufficient. Uh, you might quote Philippians 4.13, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. And it doesn't have to be in the Bible. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the Bible. I know somebody else who does a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What is it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But it doesn't have to be in the Bible. A lot of people these days say, God is good. And again, you might think of a hymn that you, you, you repeat over and over. Something from Standing on the Promises or Amazing Grace, whatever it might be. might be a more contemporary song, something from Oceans or, or Mighty to Save or whatever. Mine is a two-word, two-word thing that, that really represents Easter uh, that has to do with where Jesus was buried, at least momentarily. Does anybody happen to know? tomb's empty. Tomb's empty. That's it. That's all I need. Okay, so it's good to listen to yourself and be truthful to what you're feeling, what you're facing. But also, preach the truth to yourself. Preach the truth of God's sovereignty. Press, uh, uh, pressing on with him, preach uh, the nearness of the Spirit to you, the Spirit who resides in you. Preach and remind yourself. That's where the Spirit resides. Preach the gospel of Jesus that has saved you and rescued you. You should thirst to preach to yourself. And do that each and every day. That's what David is telling us to do. But there's a final way he tells us to thirst, and it's thirst to sing. Now, 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 David thirsts to be with his community of believers and to be among them. He makes that clear, but he also wants to sing with them. Let's look at uh, uh, this verse, verse 4. He says, "'My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God.'" There are days I just so look forward to coming into this church. When I get out of my car in the parking lot there and start walking here, I anticipate people I'm going to see, things we're going to do together, uh, prayers we're going to offer together, uh, Lord's Supper we're going to share together, stuff like that. And it just just encourages me. My heart swells and I'm thinking, yeah, it's, it's good to be back in the house of God with these believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Very excited about that. But also, what David says is, look forward to singing with them. And that's what he says at at the end of this. He says, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Uh, Let me say this, and you don't have to be a great singer, but it's great to be in this place. Let me say this, when you are despairing, when you are down, when you are depressed, quite often what you're going to want to do is isolate yourself Cocoon yourself away from other people. Don't do that. That is not in your best interest. Even if you have to kind of make yourself or or, or let somebody hold you accountable that they're going to stay on you so you will get here or wherever you feel like you can worship and be in community with other believers, do that. That is in your best interest. Don't take lightly what we do here. This is the marvelous encounter we can have with the living God. And when we have that encounter, it really strengthens us for the journey out from this place Even in the darkest times of night, and I mean that literally and figuratively, because oftentimes we will find ourselves in the darkness of night emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. And that's where we need this time, because the strength that you and I can gain here from one another as we worship together strengthens us for the night times out there. Really, that's what verse 8 says. It says, but each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me, which we recognize during hours of worship. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. So if you're struggling to sing right now because of something you're dealing with, sing, sing away, knowing that you're among brothers and sisters who care. And much more than that, sing away because there's a sovereign God of all things who stepped out of eternity and into your very world in the form of Jesus, who gave up his very life for you. And because of that alone you have reason to sing. He's a God who's with you through every step of the darkness, no matter what is taken away from you. You still have reason to sing, which reminds me of a story I read recently by Craig Barnes, who's a marvelous, uh, well actually he's president, I believe, of Princeton Seminary right now, but he was a pastor for many years, and he has a wonderful book called When God Interrupts. And he said that one week he was having one of those weeks that a pastor can have. He's trying to get a sermon prepared. He's trying to settle some conflicts among the ministerial staff. Uh, Basically, he said, I was trying to save the world in one week. And he said one more thing he had to do. He finally got the sermon preached, and and that can kind of be tiring sometimes. And so he got that done, and he realized, oh, this afternoon, I'm supposed to do Lord's Supper at a nursing home. And it was the last, he said, he confessed, it's the last thing I wanted to do at that point. He was in such a blue funk at that time. But he went over to the nursing home, and it's there that he met Miss Lucille Lins. She was in a wheelchair. She was a widow who outlived her husband, all her close friends. She was almost blind. She was very hard of hearing. Uh, She had really gradually become shut off from the world. Her her house had been sold. She was stuck there, confined in a very small room. Uh, As Craig wrote, he said, she had lost almost everything but life Itself. So Craig gets up there and he he said a simple prayer and he led a Lord's Supper and there were like just three or four people, including Miss Linz, who were there and he muttered through the words, "This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you." He kind of fumbled through it, didn't do a stellar job with it. And 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 when he got over to Miss Linz, she she her hands were too shaky. She couldn't really. Uh, touch the bread and break the bread so he he kind of guided her hand to where she could finally break off a piece and she took that and then he had the cup there it wasn't one of these little cups but he had the cup there to try to help her with that and as he helped her with it she accidentally uh, turned it this way and uh, spilled a bunch of the juice on his slacks and he thought "Eh, one more thing i got to deal with this week and that was his attitude well he went on and finished uh, the lord's supper Um, he patted miss linds on the back And uh, said a prayer and turned to leave. And suddenly, Miss Lenz, who had been silent the whole time, said so loud and so clearly as he was departing, she said, thank you, God, for being so good to me. Thank you that I am not forgotten. Thank you for always loving me and never giving up on me. And Craig Barnes said those words were healing to him, that that healed him from that whole difficult week. Her spoken doxology healed him. And her song really echoes the words of this psalm that we talk about today. In the darkest moments of life, when we're at the end of our rope, or maybe even at the end of our very lives, we have reason to sing. We have reason to sing. And this meal is a wonderful, visible reminder of that. And I hope and pray that as we enter into this time, enter into this meal, that we will thirst for it because of all that God has done for us. And in fact, let's start by singing about the solid rock. Let's stand together and sing as we enter into this time.